Ted and Tommy Inez for stepping in and helping Ted out this morning. <clears throat> we are going to continue our trek through the book of Acts. And just a reminder, uh, we have these uh, scripture journals out in the lobby that you can pick up and grab. And there's a great place to follow along as we go through Acts and take notes and all that in one convenient location. So if you want those, feel free to grab one of those. They're right there on the table. <coughs> it's a great way that we're all connected as we go through uh, this book together. So as we said, we're going through the book of Acts, and we'll be continuing, uh, finishing up chapter 16 today um, of the book of Acts. And so before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Therefore, I thank you so much for this time when we can come together as your body, as your people. Lord, I pray for this time as we open up your word that you bring it to life in our minds and our hearts, that we can see you in it. We can see how you've moved historically, but also see how you're still moving today in our own lives. Lord, I pray that you can meet us where we are and take us where we need to go, that we can be your people in all these things. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We all have different stories. Just take a look around this room. No, seriously, take a look around this room. Look at your neighbor. Maybe you can look across the aisle at the other people, across the aisle, and you see people with different stories. They have different backgrounds, different experiences. We all probably arrived here differently as different things going on this morning, and the week has been different for us, and we all have these different stories. We don't even know the full stories of our brothers and sisters that sit next to us. But for all those differences, we actually make one church. Just this small church, River Valley Community Church, we have people from all different backgrounds, people who have uh, grown up in the church, people who came to church at a later stage in life, people who are white-collar, blue-collar, people who uh, have different uh, families or different experiences, all these different things happening that we have people from different stages in life that run the gamut. And all these differences can seem pretty great to us that when we look across at people and we look at our neighbors we see so many things that are different about them than are from us but yet we can come together here on a sunday morning and actually be united together because of jesus christ and that makes all the difference is that he can bring people from all these different backgrounds and different experiences and make one people his people as we know him together and we can even zoom out a little bit more and we can look around at our brothers and sisters who are worshiping in churches across the globe that look very different than us. Not just how they look, but also how the church works and how it operates and how, how they worship looks very different. But yet, while they have stories that we possibly cannot even fathom and elements that don't even look like our life, they are part with us in God's universal church, his family that God weaves people from every tongue, tongue, tribe, and nation into the rich tapestry that is his people. And I believe that is what we see in Acts chapter 16, that God is creating his people from all sets of peoples. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. We're starting in verse 11. And if you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen as well as you read through this passage to the end of the chapter. 
And we're going to see, if you remember, we're picking up from where we left off, that Paul and his team, Silas and Timothy and Luke, they had, re- they had received this vision of this man in Macedonia crying out. And so they have now traveling to this, this region of Macedonia, which is right above Greece. And so this is where the story picks up as a, as a set sail. In verse 11, it says this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Nippolopus. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of denivision and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing the city, our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fashioned their feet into stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And in me, all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to him, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and then they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. 
It's a long section of scripture that seems maybe just to tell the narrative of what happened in this one city. It contains the story of these two kind of different conversions, a, a demon possession that is, uh, you know, exercised out, and a jail sentence. And so how can you bring these together and summarize what's happening in this city of Philippi as Paul is proclaiming the gospel? We can summarize it like saying that when the gospel is proclaimed, there are different conversion stories with different circumstances, but there is one Christ. Or we can even summarize further and simply say, we have different stories, but the same Savior. I believe that is what we see in the the book of Acts in general, is that we see all these different stories and how God meets people and performs miracles differently in their lives and brings them to him in different ways, but there is one Savior. And we see this in Lydia, and we see this in the Philippian jailer, how very different their conversion stories are, but we see one Savior being proclaimed. And that is what we see when we look around here as well. We see people from these different backgrounds, these different life stories, and how they come to know the Lord is differently, but we know it's the same Savior which saves us. We have different stories, but the same Savior. When we look at this uh, chapter, Acts 16, we really see these two big conversion stories, Lydia and the Philippian jailer as well as their households. And so we see, but these two main ones, I think, show how God works in different ways in different people's lives. Take Lydia, for example. Lydia is said to be a merchant from the city of Thyatira. She is a seller of purple goods, meaning that she was a rich merchant. She sold to the upper crust, the nobility, the, the rich people, because that is expensive goods that she was selling. And so she walked in probably those upper circles of society. Yet at the same time, she's described as a God worshiper, which means she probably was not Jewish in, of, 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 of ethnic nature, but yet had been seeing God through the Jewish faith. And so she might be even in the process of being converted to Judaism. She was looking for God. And yet, so she was with the Jewish people out on the riverbank in a, in a place of prayer when Paul and Silas and Timothy and probably Luke showed up and start to talk to the Jewish people about Jesus Christ. It doesn't seem dramatic, her conversion at all. For they were just talking to these women, and it just simply says the Lord opened her heart to, believe, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That God was working in her heart in a way where all of a sudden now she's believing through this conversation where at first she had known God through Judaism, but now she's seeing that Jesus Christ is that fulfillment of the Old Testament. She's seeing Jesus Christ as the promised wood of God. And so naturally she carries this back to her household and they too believe and are baptized. So we see a conversion built upon a faith in God that is further confirmed with who Jesus is all because they came to this place of prayer and preached the gospel. But when you compare that to the Philippian jailer, you see something very different. For imagine this uh, Philippian jailer, he knows the city is kind of in turmoil. He probably heard the rumors about these, these guys who were stirring up trouble and they were stripped of their garments and they were beaten with rods, rods and now they're handed over to him to make fast in the prison to keep them safely. And so he puts them in the inner part of this, of this prison, fastening their feet in their stocks. And he sees how they respond to being publicly beaten and now in prison as they prayed to their God, as they sang hymns, so much so that all the other prisoners were listening 
You, you can't imagine that he does not see how they react to the circumstances. And then in the middle of seeing that, in that middle of that night, an earthquake hits. Uh, some, some miraculous phenomena. The whole ground of the floor is shaken and the doors are thrown open. And he sees this and he naturally assumes all the prisoners would have made haste because which one of us would have stayed in prison if all of a sudden our bonds were loose and the doors opened? And he assumed that they're all gone, and, and he knew that his life was forfeit because he had, he had not followed through with his charge, and so he drew his sword, and he was going to kill himself, only to be stopped as Paul cries out, Stop! We're all here! And he's amazed as he rushes in, he sees them, and he falls down, and he asks probably the most important question of all of life, What must I do to be saved? And so Paul and Silas tell him to believe in Jesus. And he believes and he, they speak to his household as well. It's a little bit more dramatic than Lydia's conversion, we might say. It involves miraculous events and, and, and uh, jellings and even a demon exorcism and all this. And he leads to that question, which means that he most likely was listening to Paul and Silas as they were praying and as they were singing to realize he had to be saved. That he was, there, he was listening to them and knew that he was in need of a Savior. That it wasn't a conversion not built on a knowledge of God like Lydia's, but, a, but just brought to him as they, he listened to Paul and Silas in jail. Very different conversion stories. And then we take the household people who come to faith because their head of the household comes to faith. And that strikes us weird nowadays because we're so American and we're independent, and we're like, it's individual faith, and that's what matters, and that's true. Individual faith is what, is, is what we're going for, and what we look for, and, we, and, and the individual has to believe. But in this kind of culture, when the head of a household went a certain way, the rest of the household usually followed. And so I don't think we discount their faith. It was personal, but they were led to that because their people in authority were leading them that way, and so they gave attention to what Paul and Silas and the crew was saying. And so they were converted as well. And we don't even know their stories. We don't even know why they responded, how they responded. We don't know their conversion stories. But in all of this, what we see is that all these different kind of conversions that are happening, these people coming to Christ in these different circumstances and in these different ways, but they were coming to the same Savior. That God was the one working. And they, they were believing and the same Savior, Jesus Christ. And they had faith in that same object. I really think this is showing us this kind of universal um, <coughs> excuse me, reach of the gospel as it's coming in and it's pulling people from different backgrounds, people with different experiences, and God is individually working in their lives so that they can know who he is. I think you see this almost universal reach because if you remember when Paul had that vision of a Macedonian man crying out for him to come across the strait, and he did, who, but who's the first person who's converted? Not a Macedonian man, but now a woman in Macedonia. And so you can see that this vision was not just for a certain man that was waiting over Macedonia or anything like that, but it's for the people of this region in their entirety to come and know who Christ is. We all have different stories, but we have the same Savior. And that's true for us, and we need to remember that for ourselves. First and foremost, we need to remember that for others' sake. 
Because we need to guard ourselves from the temptation to put our experience and our um, life uh, upon other people. So often when we, can, we hear someone's conversion story, you might be tempted to kind of judge their faith because, man, they came to know God in a very different way than I came to know God. And so maybe we can doubt that they even know God. That's tempting for us to want to make our experience standard for other people. And we need to guard ourselves from that because God works in those different means and there's those different ways through the same Savior. This is also important for ourselves as well for our own sake because it's so easy to compare our faith with other people's faith and our conversion and coming to know God with other people's story. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I grew up in the church. And so my conversion story is not dramatic. It's one of those process things. I grew up under, in a godly family, and I came to know the Lord and through that process of, of being raised in the church. And so sometimes when you hear those, those dramatic stories of that life turning 180 degrees when someone's older and they make the decision, you're kind of like, wow, that sounds dramatic. It shows God working so much more than me saying, I grew up in the church, and I kind of always believed and I can kind of point at markers where I grew in faith in certain ways. And so you can almost long for that, even though it's ironic because I long for my child to grow up in church and not have to have that dramatic experience. But we judge so easily our own faith by others' experience, and we might long for that without, and not realize that God is working and active in both circumstances. Just take Lydia and the Philippian jailer. jailer. <coughs> Excuse me. It's easy to look at the Philippian jailer and say, man, God was clearly at work. He, he kicked out that demon out of that girl. He brought them to jail. He caused the earth to shake. He, he really was at work to move in the heart of that Philippian jailer. But yet, when you read the story of Lydia in that normal conversation, God is just as much at work. And the writer of Acts, Luke, makes that point when he says that simple line, God opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And we see God at work, and so we don't need to judge our experiences by other people's experience or think we have some kind of less good testimony because it might not be as dramatic, but we trust that if we believe in the same Savior, that if our faith has the same correct object, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, saving us from sins through his righteous life and his death that we deserve to die, and rising from the grave, showing us the life that awaits us, verifying who he is. And if we believe in that Savior, we are part of the same family, knowing God together. Because we have different stories, but the same Savior. And these different stories have different circumstances that play out around them, have different circumstances on how people were used in their lives or are used to kind of proclaim the gospel. <coughs> Take, for instance, Lydia's story. Paul and his team, they planned to go to the place of prayer. This was an intentional, missional move on their part. They knew the Jews were going to be out by the river's brink, and so they planned to be there to proclaim the gospel. So the Jew, Jewish people, the tradition, they would set up synagogues and cities. Synagogues were places where they can come together and they would worship together. But if there was not 10 heads of households in a city, they could not set up a synagogue. And if that was not allowed, then they would find a place outside the sea gates, either by the sea or by a river, and they would set up a place of prayer that they would come together and pray together. 
And so Paul, who has that mentality that he's first going to preach to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, immediately looks for the Jewish people in Philippi. And since there's no synagogue, he knows they will be outside the city at this place of prayer. And so that's where he goes, and that is where he finds them. These women, these Jewish women, praying together, worshiping together on this riverbank. And that is where they plan to go to preach the gospel because they know that Jewish people should respond to the gospel they see Jesus as the fulfillment of their faith. <clears throat> but then we see completely different circumstances surrounding the jail sentence and, and how the Philippian jailer responds. That we see how it was led to that Paul and Silas actually were now placed in prison so that they could preach the gospel to this Philippian jailer. And it's funny, I, I, I always find this account funny because they're ministering in the city of Philippi and this demon-possessed girl who was a fortune teller whose owner, owners uh, would make, were making um, money because of this uh, talent this demon was giving her started following them around. And what she was saying was 100% true. And so you can almost wonder, why does Paul get annoyed by this girl falling around saying something that is 100% accurate? Because she was falling, and what was she saying? She says, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. I mean, I, don't, I think I'd be tempted to say, yeah, that's who we are, guys. She's got it right. But for some reason, Paul gets annoyed, and he casts out this demon. But then you got to remember that when Jesus walked this world and he um, cast out demons, whenever they tried to testify about who he was, where they would naturally proclaim, this is the son of the most high God, what would he do? He would rebuke them. He would silence them. And then he would send them away. And he kind of asked the same, like, why would he do that? They're testifying. Miraculous signs testifying for what he is saying. But the fact is, the gospel can never be paired with something that's demonic that the gospel can never be hitched or needs the support of anything that does not come from God. And so it's not what was said that was wrong, but it was who was saying it. That they knew they did not need the testimony of some demon-possessed girl to win hearts and minds in Philippi. God was going to do that for them and through them. The gospel doesn't need and can't be and shouldn't be confused with other beliefs. I think we see that actually if you go, if you've been on the mission field at all, if you looked at other cultures, it's so easy, even in this culture, for the gospel to start to morph and mingle with beliefs that people have, and you get a corrupted truth of what the Bible says. When it's clearly it should not be mingled, it needs to be totally separate because the gospel does not need any of that to support it. But this action of freeing this young woman leads to people to lie about what Paul and Silas are doing, leads to the being, leads to them being put into prison. And we can say that now placed into this position of prison, they can proclaim the gospel to this Philippian jailer. In these different circumstances, whether it was an intentional mission strategy or being placed in something of hardship and God using them there, we see God using his people in these different ways. In the same is true for us. 
That God uses us when we plan to go somewhere to spread the gospel. God uses us when we make intention to share the gospel with our friend, our family member, a coworker, someone on the street, someone we know needs to hear. God uses us when we intentionally plan to do this. But he also uses us when we are placed in situations where it might be hard and might be not where we want to be. We might have experienced hardships and we are crying out to God that how we act in those circumstances and God uses us. That we can be like Paul and Silas, that in the midst of being imprisoned and beaten by rods, what do they do? They pray to their God and they sing hymns. So much so that all the other inmates were watching them. Can you imagine me saying, these guys were just dragged in here, naked, beaten, and what is their response as they praise their God? And you can imagine that having an effect, not just on the Philippian jailer that sees this, but now on these inmates. For when those doors are thrown open by God and all the bonds are loosened, none of them move. Maybe they were saying, what are they going to do next? What are they going to say next? We want to hear. And so just like them, when we're placed in a situation, whether we're placed in a situation or we're planning to go into a situation, God uses us in that context to proclaim his gospel if we stand faithful, if we proclaim it as we are called to do so. That God uses us in all these different circumstances. It could be mundane, having a conversation where God moves in someone's hearts to use your words. Or it could be the more miraculous and more, more dramatic experience, but God uses us to make known the Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we all have different stories, but the same Savior. The same Savior that unites all these different people into one church and one body, us into one, one body, being one bride, connected to the one vine, coming in through the one door, and standing on the truth, the one Savior that does all of this. And I think that is so greatly illustrated by these conversion stories as well as what they form, which is the Philippian church. This church that Paul ends up writing a letter to later, we see it being formed right here. When Paul and Silas are released from prison, where do they go? They go back to Lydia, and they hear from her, and they probably share what has happened. They greatly rejoice. They encourage the brothers before they head out of the city. Just imagine what is taking place in that instance as they go and meet with Lydia, as they're celebrating what has God has done in their lives. And they probably are, hey, introducing you to now your new brother in Christ, this Philippian jailer in his household. Oh, wait, and here come some inmates that just got out of prison, and they too know Christ, and so they're your brothers in Christ. Oh, wait, here comes this ex-demon-possessed slave who most likely now comes to know Christ because she was delivered from this demon and has seen his power firsthand. And now they all come together and they form one church. The rich and the poor, the slave and the free, the male and the female, now all one in Jesus Christ, forming the nucleus of this Philippian church that we know about from Acts as well as Paul's letter to them. So many different stories coming together to form one body in Christ. We have different stories, but the same Savior. And the same is true for us. For as I said from the beginning, as we looked around and we see these different stories, we see different 
lives in different ways and probably wish we came to know the Lord. But what do we see? We are now united in faith. United because we have the same Savior. And that Savior makes us a new people with a new identity and a new mission for our lives. I think when we look at the church, hopefully when we look at the church, we should see the reality of what Peter spoke about coming into play. Peter spoke about in, in 1 Peter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, when he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That the church is many people, but they have one, we have one Savior. Which means we focus on what defines us and not what all these other things. We focus on Christ who defines us and not these other differences that might divide us and separate us. That we might still have those old labels from society has given us, these old labels that we might be known by, these old identity markers, but that is not the ultimate way in which we identify who we are. We look to Christ for our identity and we know he has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that we're brought together by him and we see Christ as our identity. That the church has many people, but we have one gospel one good news which means we are on a common mission they were all tasked for the spreading of this gospel we're united together to make this work we're united to proclaim this to wherever we are that we have been brought together for what reason to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light now we're brought together for this mission to proclaim who christ is to those who need to hear the church has many people but we are one church, united together as family, because God has made us his people. Once we were not a people, once we were divided, once we looked other ways to define us, but now we're brought together and we are now God's people. Brought together to love each other, serve one another, to minister together, to lift up his name, and to worship together. That he has brought us together to form his body, his bride. We are all many people and we have those many different stories, but we have one Savior, one gospel, and we make up one church. We have different stories, but we have the same Savior. Join me in prayer. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for your truth of how you saved us through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if 